Hi everyone, I'm Karina Givargasov, the founder of Mission Magazine, the first fashion philanthropic interactive media brand. For fashion for beauty for good is our motto, our tagline I guess, in case you didn't know it already. We had a slight change in scheduling as previously announced on our last podcast. We had said we were speaking to Daniel Lismore. That's coming, but not today I'm afraid. Today we are talking to an artist and writer who comes from a family of biologists. But that was not their initial career path. Our next guest has a PhD in literature from UC Berkeley, specialising in poetry. Some of her passions are ballet, rock climbing, being in a rock punk company. Our next guest is Sophia Wang, the co-founder of My Co-Works. Sophia and her partner Phil Ross have found a way to make fungal threads to behave and look like leather. That's a mushroom. Imagine a reishi mushroom, many, being turned into big flat sheets that look like leather, then being produced into a stylish bag. I know, it's crazy, right? Have a listen to hear what Global Luxury Brand is partnering with them to create a stylish cool bag. I hope you enjoy my talk with the incredibly intelligent, edgy, fun, and cool entrepreneur, Sophia Wayne. Where, where are you calling in from now? Are you on the West Coast? I am on the West Coast in California in Emeryville. Oh, wow. Um, I'm in the UK at the moment in London, um, at very different scenery and temperature, I'm sure. Absolutely. I was actually just, um, I've been researching your work and, and, and you and what you've done, and it's, it's, it's mind-blowing. It's amazing. <laughs> it's so amazingly mind-blowing. Um, <laughs> it's just, you know, I, 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 I think having um, started um, Mission from scratch and not really knowing anything and doing something that not been, not, hasn't been done before in that space and spending years on moving it forward, moving it forward, I really appreciated reading, learning about you and how you um, connected with your co-founder, Phil Ross, and, and, and has really been on this journey um, since 2013, I believe, my co-works is when um, you kind of stepped into working with Phil. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, as far as the founding of Microworks, Phil and I actually met and started working together years before that. I think it was 2007 when we first connected um, as art collaborators. Right. And can you, just for our readers, just can you tell us a little bit about, and we'll obviously delve in more into it, but my co-works, what, it, what exactly is that? What is the, the base of the company? Sure. Microworks is a biotechnology company based here in Emeryville, San Francisco area. We are creating an um, advanced materials platform based on mycelium. And here's where I usually slow down and for people who don't know what mycelium <laughs> is, it's uh, think of it as the interwoven cellular network that um, can produce mushrooms. It's the vegetal part of mushrooms, and you'll typically find it underground or in um, logs or basically under the forest floor. So we're creating a material that is made from mycelium, and we're using a technology that we've developed called fine mycelium which engineers mycelium as it grows to create proprietary interwoven cellular structures that enables a flexible, durable, versatile material that's inherently strong. 
and we've yeah we, we've we've brought it out into the world as um as as an option for leather right now. Your background is very different. It is. I mean, I mean, so is mine to what I was doing and what I'm doing now. But you started uh, PhD in literature um, and uh, experiential American poetry, and and it's so. Oops, beg your pardon. Why that's coming? This it's so disconnected from what you're doing now. So how did that? How did that partnership? How did that love of what you're doing now develop? It's yeah, it's a wild story. Um, it's really a story that begins um, with art and science. So. I would say that there's sort of deep cultural intersections that make this make sense, which is um, both my parents are um, research scientists in biology, molecular cell biology and biochemistry. And so I grew up in a household where I thought about biological systems and the living world and how things are made and grown. And, and then I had a love from a very young age of art and literature. And so I was trained in art and writing and did eventually go on to do my PhD in English. Um, and so I, I have a cultural fluency and interest at the intersection of art and science. And that really resonated with um, an opportunity that came up to work with Phil Ross, um, who ended up becoming my co-founder in Microworks. But Back in 2007, I was doing my PhD in English at UC Berkeley and looking for opportunities to professionalize in the art world, um, also being an artist and identifying as an artist. And Phil's a Bay Area artist who I met through mutual friends in the art world here. And um, we, I came together you know, with him as an artist assistant. And at the time, he was putting together an exhibit on the history of bioreactors. So... Um, designed environments to cultivate and grow life and, you, you know, interpreted broadly everything from a Petri dish to a bioreactor where you're growing muscle tissue to a garden bed. And we worked together on this exhibit here at the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts in San Francisco, and it was a great working relationship. It was also the first time I'd encountered Phil's artwork. And Phil had been developing mycelium as a material for art and design since the 90s. And, you know, I, of course, know mushrooms, this generally known thing in the world, and yes. had never um, thought of or, you know, knew about mycelium, which is, you know, common, <clears throat> commonly understood as like the root structure of mushrooms and the amazing forms and features and uh, materials that it can produce. And Phil was exploring this in, in his artworks, creating sculptures and um, installations and architectural pieces and designed forms. And so it was just this wonderful um, resonance and expanding conversation between us, um, given our, our interest in the intersection of art, design, and science. And that's really the start of the working relationship. We, we um, did this show together, and then we went our separate ways. I went to finish my PhD in English and was also simultaneously starting a dance company. And yes, performing. we'll get into that. I, wanna, I definitely <laughs> want to hear about this. And basically around the time that I was finishing up my PhD in English, Phil came back around and said, you know, I'm receiving invitations from companies around the world that are interested in mycelium as material. And I want to start a company 
to bring this material into industry and invited me to co-found MicaWorks with him. And it was a remarkable opportunity that, you know, as I was finishing my PhD and looking at my prospects for tenure track positions in academia, I was like, this is, this is too amazing to pass up. And so that's the, the genesis, the origin story of MicaWorks and how, you know, I went from being in the, you know, academia um, practice of, of studying literature into biotech. That's very special, that relationship early on working with him and for him to come back around to ask you to do something on a business side together. Because um, that's very rare that I think now that I, I'm kind of learning about business partners, it's very rare to have find the right fit that you get along with somebody on doing something that's creative and then go take that to another level, to more serious level on a bigger scale. So clearly you guys get on and, and there's that respect and there's that love of the arts and the science um, that just was a, a great fit for him to come and, and talk to you to come on board with him yes yes how did your family feel about this that you know if you come from a, a family of biologists they, were they like <laughs> great she's finally given up on the books and she's gonna do something yeah I think I think there was uh the reassurance that parents can feel that you're doing something that might make you money someday unlike uh let's say dance and and love of love of literature um and then there were, of course, the hard years, you know, um, we founded MicaWorks in 2013 and it was probably not until 2016 that we began paying ourselves from some of the seed funding that we received. And so, of course, those years were hard as well, where my my family, you know, really pressed me. They, you know, they, they wanted to make sure that this was a good investment of my time and my resources and um, that it was going somewhere. And, and that was hard, you know, it was hard to keep that faith for myself and to reassure everyone around me who cared about me that this was a good idea. Oh, they, uh, what do they say now? <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're glad I stuck with it. <laughs> they say, I told you, I told you this would work. <laughs> no, they, yeah, they're very proud. They're very proud. And yeah, in when I'm being uh, more of a jerk, I will remind people that some of them tried to dissuade me. <laughs> So I get to say, I told you so. Yeah, which is rare, isn't it? <laughs> That's fantastic. I have to, I have to ask about the um, the punk rock dance company. When I when I research was looking into kind of what you've been, you, your, your past and things you're interested in, apart from the you're passionate for rock climbing and and your love for ballet, is is the punk rock dance company that stood out the most to me because I think that just. It sounds you. You sound amazing. I mean, that's just that's it's so. Like I don't even know what to say. It's so different and eclectic and exciting. Um, and I guess they're all kinds of releases into maybe stress and just um just to focus on something else. But how did you come across the the punk rock dance company? How did that happen? Well, that that happened basically by way of my self education in dance. And so I, I had been rock climbing just, you know, for um, exercise and enjoyment um, through my 20s and then was looking for another physical practice and just decided out of the blue one day to take a drop-in adult ballet class and just went wild for it. I would take, you know, I was in grad, I was in grad school, which, you know, is a nice shelter from a structured day. So I would start taking like two, three dance classes in a row in a day, just, you know, I was really just training. I was on a personal training mission. And in one of those dance classes, I happened to run into 
Brontes Purnell, who's an amazing um, artist here based in the Bay Area, you know, writer, dancer, visual artist, filmmaker, musician. And I had known Brontes from the punk scene and um, was just a fan. But we, at, when we saw each other in the dance class, he was like, oh, you dance, you do ballet. And I was like, you do ballet. And he's like, we should start a dance company. So I think in the spirit of punk, which is you do it yourself and you don't take anyone else's authority and you don't need institutions to authorize you. That's what we did. And, and I also knew that someone who's coming into dance at the age of 30, you know, it, it's not like I had technically trained in dance my entire life and was going to be invited to join professional companies and dance on stages around the world, but we could dance in warehouses here in Oakland and we could put on shows that our, our friends were inviting us to do and, and work at local art, art institutions. So that was the, the quickest way that I was going to be able to perform and really push my dance practice into an actual art practice with an audience. And so that's, that's where that came from. That's that's fantastic. That's fantastic. I, I love I love reading that. I thought it was very um just free spirited, and I love that you're you're absolutely right how you summed up what um, the meaning of punk is because a lot of people I don't think understand that that you know that it's what it stands for. Um, what's been your favorite part of creating product like Reishi? What's been the I know I can imagine the hardest part of the long journey and, and seeing it come to the quality it is now, but what's been your favorite part? I would say my favorite part is actually the the process and the journey. I mean, of course, there's the satisfaction of the the beautiful products that when when people see it and feel it, they're so blown away. They're like, this is this is gorgeous and enticing and provocative and it, and it feels like leather and and everyone wants to use it and have it and and it's it's just the it it has an emotional resonance that you really can't, you have to see it to believe it. Um, but I would say actually that my favorite part is the process and the journey with all the people who have become part of this journey. So obviously we didn't do this alone. We started out, you know, a couple co-founders and now we're, you know, growing to about 150 probably by the end of the year. And there are all these amazing people, scientists and engineers and storytellers and um, technicians, people who have put their heart and soul and curiosity and, and creative problem solving into the um, adventure of the technical challenges that this requires. And so actually the, the empowerment and the pride that comes out of that is my favorite part of this, because it's really about, um, like our CEO, uh, Matt Scullin, talks about being a force multiplier. And I, I love that this endeavor has enabled me and then everyone who joins to become a force multiplier in our questions and capacities around pushing this technology forward. I saw a video um, that you guys, you can find on the internet and it shows the video of the Reishi, the product, um, and it's close up and you can see it and it, it looks it looks really sophisticated, look elegant, it looks gorgeous. And when you're watching the video, it's it's so hard to just to imagine where this has come from. Um, that it's it's mycelium and it's not leather and it's not out of a tannery. It's it's remarkable, um, which makes sense why, you know, fashion industries and, and the likes of Hermes are are wanting to partner with you guys. And um, 
it was it was great to read that you you've you know you've gone from 40 people to 100 people so it's and that you you work with scientists like you have nasa is that right you have nasa people um involved in working with you we we have people who've come out of those industries and we've also had that industry come to us i think that there's i i think we've had a very very broad range of industries that are interested in what mycelium can do. And so, yes, there's there's certainly an interest in uh, mycelium in space. Oh, gosh. It's great that there's all these... It's a whole nother, that's a whole other podcast, I think, it discussing is. About, yeah. about, about that. Um, but it's just, it's... I mean, it's endless, the possibilities of what you've brought to market. It really is. And it's it must be... Like, like I said, I'm sure the journey has been brutally hard um, in, in getting it and, and, and investors in and being able to scale and, and become a dream coming true for, for you and, and for Phil and, and the other co-founders. But what do you think are the struggles, you, struggles you've had to overcome in communicating this to potential industry people like in the, in the fashion industry? Well, I would say that a lot has changed in, since we founded, and certainly a lot has changed since Phil started his practice in the 90s when, you know, even fewer people knew what mycelium was in the world. Um, the initial challenges were, of course, um, making the business case for it when you're trying to bring a new material into an established industry and there are existent materials that are already at scale and at a certain price point you have to make a very convincing case for how you're going to get there as well. And so when you're um, proposing also that you're going to invent the entire process for production of your material and um, scale that process and, and then, you know, bring it into the economics that makes sense for large brands, that's a, that's a large story to tell that requires um, a lot of um, expertise and insight and, and vision in terms of how you're going to essentially disrupt an established industry and supply chains as they are. So that, that challenge, you know, we of course felt from the very start and, and it's, you know, why in the early years um, fundraising was very difficult and fundraising has become essentially easier by expanding our team, having the expertise to tell that story, to craft those models. And, and then of course there's the traction that comes with all the brands that are interested. So, you know, working with a partner like Hermes and um, brands of that caliber, that is a validation that of course then helps to get other people, whether they're investors or other partners on of board. Course. Yes. It's yeah. the golden seal, isn't it? I mean, there yeah, are, it is. I mean, you can't go to a, a bigger, more important luxury leather brand than Hermes. It's, you know, if you think luxury and leather, accessories and products that's the first one I would imagine everybody you know comes to mind and um and generally I think they're known for you know they're very in-house and very craftsmanship and um say true to vision they've not expanded into different diversity partners and and diluted their their heritage let's say so I think that's the, the fact that you've partnered with them is is a huge testament to validate to what you and Phil have spent so many years believing in that you have this product that can behave and, and react just like leather. It's, it's congratulations. When I, when I read about that, I thought that's just such a big game changer for the luxury industry as well. And do you think, um, I would imagine environment and climate change has also helped kind of move this forward and, and brands look at, you know, other alternatives to having, fake leather and plastic and um, water usage and all of this. I, I would imagine that that's been beneficial towards 
brands wanting to reach out to you as well. Absolutely. That that conversation has advanced across industries in the time that we founded Microworks. So you're seeing more and more um, brands becoming leading adopters of that agenda. And um, I was really heartened to see the Business of Fashion's uh, Sustainability Index, which was released earlier this year, that really laid out um, some really useful terms for thinking broadly about how an entire industry might actually challenge itself to be more sustainable across you know, many categories, including things like workers' rights and transparency and emissions and um, you know, your waste and, and water and materials. So it's, it's been heartening to see that that is a priority for a lot of brands that come to us. But I would say that the resonance that really um, is the foundation for the strong partnerships that we've been building, um, including with, with, with Hermes and, and brands of that caliber, is actually the commitment to the quality and the aesthetics and the performance of um, our material of fine mycelium. Um, because we, we absolutely know that these brands that we're working with will not compromise on quality for the sake of um, a sustainability experiment or, or adopting the material so that they really become partners with us in ensuring that we're bringing a material to their products and their consumers that meets um, expectations, meets, meets standards, and is, is truly beautiful and unique and desirable. Because and, that, that is what leads to the broadest adoption, and that's what will lead to the broadest impact. That's actually going to be one of my, my next questions is what um, standards do you hold to other partners that, that want to work with you and collaborate with you? You must have a stringent set of um, industries, not industries, standards like um, code of ethics that have to, anyone who wants to partner with you, they have to abide by. I think, I think the code of ethics is, is emergent and intrinsic and you know, I'm an extremely pragmatic person and having, you know, struggled for years in terms of um, wanting, you know, needing to push microworks forward in the financial sense. We're, of course, working with partners that um, are long term and that share our values that understand that bringing a new technology to market is a long road that involves a lot of development and resources and commitment. And so um, that's the first Thing that I, I think is important in, in establishing those relationships is making sure that the partner understands that and is, is ready to work with us um, on that journey. And then there's, of course, the shared values, right? We, we are a biotechnology company founded by artists. This is a material that came out of an artistic intervention and observation in the world. And we want to create beautiful products that enable um, amazing creative design possibilities. And so the brands we work with, we, we look for that um, shared set of values in terms of creativity and design excellence and quality. So it's, it's, um, it's a landscape of ethics, I would say, that have to do with the pragmatism of working together to bring a new technology into the world and making sure that we shared values in creating beautiful objects made with our material. Where do you see like, the, the vision for this? Is there something because of your artistic background? Is there, and you've, you're working with an a, a predominantly accessories company. What, what would you be your, your dream thing to create or to see Melissium be, be involved with? 
my answer to this changes every time depending on my mood because there's so there's so many options um you know i think that there's something classic and and timeless about the leather jacket and we can all imagine the one that you know that you love in your closet that's super supple that has lived with you that that made it with you through decades of your life and that I think would be just an iconic piece um, to have in our material. Um, I also, you know, at other times have have described like full length pieces. You know, there's like striking, like superhero power suit. Um, yeah, but I'll, I think today I'm feeling leather jacket. You know, the the cool factor. You know, punk factor protest. You know. Oh yes, of course. Uniform for protest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You've got to have the the leather jacket from just what you were saying earlier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's the process like? For example, I'm, I keep going back to Hermes because I know that that's the partnership that we can publicly mention. What like? What's the timescale of when, or when you're experimenting and creating a product like a bag? What's the timescale of from inception and design through to the finished product? So uh, w- without transgressing any agreements around not speaking about partnerships in detail, I can say that it's a matter of years. Yes, yes. So we're, you're talking years. So that's, that's, you know, the relationship begins with, of course, sharing our material and um, the partner evaluating it to the standards that they have set for their materials. And that might involve testing or um, prototyping and, you know, you know, subjecting the material to their standard fabricating processes. And then we receive that feedback and it's a very collaborative conversation that involves um, sharing data and feedback on both sides and talking about what is possible in terms of pushing our technology forward to meet their standards and the creativity of the designers um, on their teams with what they imagine they can do with our material as it is today and as um, we know we can take it tomorrow. And then, um, you know, with a partner that has exacting standards and knows exactly what their consumers will accept and what they want, then it's, um, you know, the the creative process on their end to create the product that um, is perfectly aligned with our material. So you can imagine that that is it's a long it's a long road. And then once once so once they've approved. The final product, you get the sign off on um, the texture, the color, the, all the trimmings and everything. How long does that would that take then to make something with 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 a brand? Well, if you're talking about the fabrication process, um, I think that that's unique to each brand. But if you're talking about the you know from the stages of sharing material to having a a product in hand or on the shelves yes. for consumer. Yes, final product. Yeah, I I would say that that's that is again it's a it's a process that takes years. It takes it takes at least a year if not more. And of course we will we'll see that process speed up as we grow and scale and as we um, advance the capacities of our material. But at this stage of things, it's certainly a relationship of of years. Well, that's it's worth it, though, isn't it? Kind of, this is going to be, this is planet saving, environmental, and it's going to last a long, a lot longer. And as someone who's steering the culture and values of my co-workers, what what message do you think you hope to portray to people? Um, the message I would say, internally and externally, is is about um, 
being values-based and values-aligned in, in what we're putting out into the world. And so we've just gone through a whole process with our own company internally to set shared values that we will all model in our work together, but also in our outward-facing, public-facing communications. And it's a way to start thinking about our impact as a company in the world and also the way that we work together. So um, the message, I, I suppose, is... Um, you know, serve your values first and then and then understand what your values are. And of course, that's going to have to be different for every set of people and every every endeavor. Um, I can share that for us, um, the, the core values are around concepts of respect and service, innovation, um, interconnection, and accountability. And these are all ways in which we are making sure that the way that we work together and and collaborate as as people involved in this very challenging, exciting endeavor that's going to take years, um, making sure that we're working together in a way that enables the most creative, um, most, you know, uh, ec- excellent work that we can produce as a group of people and that we are enabling brands and the public to join us on that journey. Do you think you found your dream job? <laughs> It sounds like it to me. <laughs> I I think that it's always about creating and finding your power in the space and the sphere of influence that you have. So, I mean, you know, I have an eclectic background, right? I've been a dancer and a writer and an academic. And um, you, I wouldn't say that I have a dream job in any one industry, although you know, I do identify probably most as a, a writer. And so there's there's this idea that, you know, okay, dream job is like you get to live in a cabin and write all the time. But I don't oh. I don't actually know, right? <laughs> because because there's like the satisfaction and the the reward of the impact of working with an amazing group of people and also getting to have dialogues with people such as yourself, right? Having an expanding dialogue in the world, which actually is how I think about writing. It's it's a way to have portable words right you can have conversations it's a different form yeah it's a different form you you can have a conversation with people like as your readers but then also you know long after you're gone in the world your your words are out there still conversing so i but i do think that i've come into my dream position at microworks over time as i've been able to specialize in areas of my strength and and what i'm great at and what i'm passionate about and I talk a lot about, um, you know, to students or, or people that I'm mentoring, um, the concept of portability. So the portability of your resources. I, I absolutely had to think of those terms as someone who came from art and literature and dance and went into biotech. And there was the crisis of feeling like an imposter or like I didn't have the training or the, you know, the right to be in the space that I suddenly found myself. And really, if you think about all your training and all your resources as being highly portable to whatever endeavor you engage in, you, you start to come into your power wherever you are. Do you feel, yeah, I can absolutely relate to that. Actually, when I started Mission, um, I had no idea what I was doing. I just stopped and being a stylist thought, I want to do this. I, I feel passionate. And I actually, this is my dream job, but I don't, this is what made me think of when I asked you the question, I don't see this as a job for me. I'm so right. passionate about it that 
um, to the point that it's an obsession, but, but I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, and I love having these conversations such as people with yourself and learning. I, I say to people, it's like a Rosetta Stone every time we do an issue because I'm learning so much. My brain is taking in so much information that um, it's, it's really exciting. But um, so when I first started, I had the idea to this. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, on your trajectory, if you experience. Uh, two people particularly said to me, um, and they're two males, and they said to me, what makes you think you're, you have the, um, the ability to do this? How can you, why, why, why do you think you can pull this off? You're, one of them said to me, you're just a stylist that dress people. And I went, okay, okay, uh-huh. no problem. <laughs> and things like that, comments like that along the journey have made me go, okay, you just watch this, watch this space, dude. Which is very exciting and empowering in my own little way to just, um, you know, just see, keep going, keep going, keep going. And, and, yes. and I can tell from the, 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 how long the journey it's been with my co-works with Phil that it has been a slow burn with this, but for good reason, because you were doing all the research and the testing. Um, and, and now look where your company is and, and what you're doing. It's, um, I'm, I'm sure you've had similar experiences of people being... Um, um, n- negatives, not, I guess, questioning, questioning, um, uh, how, how, how you, from your past of how you could pull this off. And do you feel that you've, as a woman, this has been, um, a challenge when you're, I mean, I can't even imagine going into meetings when you're raising capital and go, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, great for you to name that you're, you're absolutely right. Um, probably the most direct, negative experiences I had were with investors early on um, who looked at me and looked at Phil and made assumptions about my role in the project. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a woman who looks young. I'm, I'm a person of color. And um, you know, that those were probably the spaces where I got the most direct comments that were, that were just sort of laughable just because they were, they were such cliches of patriarchal arrogance that, you know, it's easy for me to laugh and to just understand that people are a product of their time and privilege and, um, you know, just take it as, as, as basically fire, you know, fuel for my fire. (laughs) Um, I, I think along the way, there's like really interesting things to observe as far as the microaggressions that a woman might experience on a daily basis from, her colleagues that she she deeply trusts and they trust her and no one even realizes they're doing it. And so that that again I have a lot of compassion for. Um, I just I I I think I I do have a relative amount of privilege in terms of my own social mobility and class background and education. And so I I am in a position where I'm able to be gentle, gentler. <laughs> And to understand that, you know, everything is an opportunity to like model the way to be and to um, offer feedback as a generosity if people are open to receiving it. And so I've taken it as basically an extension of my um, practice as an educator. You know, when I was at Berkeley doing my PhD, I was I was teaching undergrads for about 10 years. And and that that probably was foundation for my ethos as a leader at the company here now because I think of every occasion as a chance to empower and educate and sort of give the people around me the resources to go be superstars in their own right and so 
I think of the issues around social equity and justice and inclusion and, you know, feminist rights and yeah, gender equality, basically all of that. Um, If I can help model and, and start conversations with the people around me that empowers them to then model that and have those conversations in their own world. I mean, my, my work is done. That's, that's a great intervention to have made in the world. The, the technology and the materials aside, if can help everyone become better, more righteous, more equitable human beings and help their communities become like that. That's it's a remarkable force multiplier, as we say. It's as no, absolutely. It's actually as as inspiring and exciting as Reishi to to be able to pay it forward um, with other people from a younger generation, I, I think is it is the best gift to give back. I really do. It's something I really, I love having when we have interns with us, um, which are generally mainly young girls. Um, it's brilliant nurturing them and seeing them grow, you know, when they're with us. And um, it's, yeah, I, it's, I love the element of, I, I say to my girls that we, I go in stealth mode, you know, when, when we're, when we're building kind of the next issue, no one hears really from us for a while. And then suddenly we launch the issue and it's on Times Square in New York. And oh look, we've just gotten to Apple news and hello, we're not going away. <laughs> and it's, and it's like kind of quiet, um, um, kind of stealth mode that I love that I, I find exciting. And it makes me think of past, I, I, I got interviewed, I went to speak to somebody that was going to invest, um, a few years back and I got introduced to them through, a woman that was a broker in this and she said to me they'll never invest in you because you're a woman and that and that was another woman telling me uh, <laughs> this yeah. and I said to them then why are you working for them what's what why are you doing it I said you know if you're not going to help me what you know what's the point um and actually when I went to see the person um an older man and um the questions were are you married do you have children oh you know, wow what how many how many hours a day do you put in you know what do you do at the weekend and I burst out laughing I said I know I know exactly where those questions are going can I ask you the same if you're going to be you know working with me you know you're not going to be off on the golf course somewhere are you or down some gentleman's club with your mates um and needless to say it didn't work out uh-huh. <laughs> yep it wasn't a fit it wasn't a fit <laughs> no no not at all and it's um but it I mean, you find your tribe, don't you, when you kind of when when you, you need to and um, or they find you rather. And it's um, you're very fortunate, like I said earlier, to have um, found someone so great that you have a lot. Of, I feel that you have a lot in common with you've got the, the artistic um, connection and also the, the biology, the the, um, the biology side of things that he's so passionate. And, and I mean, for him to be. What is it in the 1990s? learning about Melissium yes. and uh, material for art and design is so ahead, so ahead. Yeah, um, it was. It absolutely was. And I hear people now talking about fungi movement. Um, and I've, you know, I've, I've spoken to somebody a few, I think it was last year, that was in an, an ad agency and started talking about this and the power of actually just taking mushrooms for medical reasons. I think there's Dr. Wheel, is it, who's um, um, a herbalist. Uh, yes. That, that, but to take this to another level of working with one of the top luxury fashion brands in, in the world is remarkable to see. I'm, I'm very excited to see how your company grows and what you're, what you're up to next. Have you got exciting things that you're developing now, which I'm not going to ask you about? Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> I know we're not allowed to, but I'm just excited for you. 
Absolutely. Of course, we have so many projects in the works, um, brand partners that, we, that we've been working with for um, several years towards product launches and, um, you know, incredibly in, enriching on both sides, mutual relationships. And so really, really excited for when we can announce those. And, and of course, you know, there's our own growth and scaling that's exciting. Um, you know, we have a, a pilot plant here in Emeryville, California, looking ahead to our full-scale plant, which will likely be in another part of the country and, and beyond. So there's much afoot. And then, you know, on in my own sphere in the company right now, um, you know, we're now at the size and scale where I can resource um, programs like diversity, equity, and inclusion, and a more expanded engagement program for our people. And so I'm really excited about um, the culture building that we're going to be doing as we grow. Sophia, thank you so much for your time today. It's, it's, I, I'm so gobsmacked and flabbergasted by learning and listening. It's the science behind all of this that is just absolutely fascinating. It's, it's really, and I can't wait to, to see the product. And actually, when you watch the video, I'm dying to touch, touch it and just feel it. It must be, um, yeah, it's congratulations to you. I can only imagine the years and years of toll and labor that has gone into this. Thank you so much. And yeah, we'll have, you'll have to get your hands on some soon. Thank you for listening to Sophia's podcast. Isn't it mind-blowing what she was talking about, what her company is doing? Our next guest is someone that I'm a little nervous about, but also really excited about. I've been following this person for a while on Instagram, and I strongly recommend you do the same. The humor is simply brilliant. But that is not what he's really known for. Our next guest celebrated his 30th anniversary this year at this hugely famous multinational beauty house. One fun fact about him that he lives by, via the words of his mentor, if you can't see the future, you will never get there. Please, please tune in to our next podcast episode with the president of Estee Lauder, John Dempsey. Thank you for listening. Take care.